Chapter Twenty One of the History of Miss Betsy Thoughtless, Volume Three, by Eliza Haywood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Michelle Eaton. Chapter Twenty One presents the reader with some prognostics on events in Futuro. The reader will easily suppose that in the present disposition of Miss Betsy's heart, Mr. Munden met with but an indifferent reception from her. She avoided his company as much as possible, and when obliged to receive a visit from him, could not bring herself to treat him with anything more than a cold civility. He complained of her cruelty, told her he had expected better things from her after her brothers had approved his flame. He pressed her in the most pathetic terms he was master of, to let him know when the happy day would arrive which should put an end to the long series of his hopes and fears. It is certain that if this gentleman had loved with that warmth and sincerity which some men have done, he must have been very unhappy during his courtship to Miss Betsy, but he was altogether insensible of the delicacies of the passion he possessed. He felt not the pains he affected to languish under. He could support the frowns, or even the slights of his mistress, without any other anxiety than what his pride inflicted. It was therefore rather owing to this last propensity in his nature than any emotions of a real tenderness for Miss Betsy, which had made him persevere in his addresses to her. All his acquaintance knew he had courted her a long time. Some of them had been witness of her treatment of him, and he was unwilling it should be said of him that he had made an offer of his heart in vain. He had at first, indeed, a liking of her person. He had considered her beauty, wit, and the many accomplishments she was possessed of, were such as would render his choice applauded by the world. The hopes of gaining her in a short time, by the encouragement she had given his addresses, had made him pursue her with vigour. But the delays, the scruples, the capriciousness of her humour, the pretences she of late had made, to avoid giving him a definitive answer, had at length palled all the inclination he once had for her, and even desire was deadened in him on so many disappointments. It is, therefore, a very ill-judged thing in the ladies to keep too long in play the man they ever designed to marry, and with all due deference to that great wit and poet, Sir John Suckling, there are very few examples which verify his maxim that "'Tis expectation makes the blessing dear. According to my opinion, which is founded on observation, another author who wrote much about the same time with Sir John, has given us a more true idea of what a tedious courtship may produce, especially on the side of the man. In a matrimonial dialogue, he makes the husband excuse the coldness complained of by his wife in these terms. Unequal lengths, alas, our passions run. My love was quite worn out ere yours begun. This being the case with Mr. Munden, it rendered Miss Betsy little less indifferent to him, in reality, than he had ever been to her, to which another motive, perhaps, might also be added, viz., that of his indulging himself with amusements with other fair ones of a more kind complexion, for continency, as will hereafter appear, was not among the number of that gentleman's virtues. But enough of Mr. Munden, for the present. It is now highly proper to give the reader some account what Mr. Trueworth was doing, while Miss Betsy was entertaining sentiments for him, 
which he had long since ceased the ambition of inspiring her with difficult was it for him to get over the mingled astonishment and vexation which the detection of the wickedness of miss flora had involved him in the remembrance of those guilty moments in which he had indulged a tender intercourse with a woman of her abandoned principles filled him with the most bitter remorse and rendered him almost hateful to himself to recollect that he had been the instrument of her base designs on miss betsy and how cruelly he had wronged that lady by a too rash belief was of itself sufficient to inflame his rage but when he reflected on this last act of baseness which if not providentially discovered might have made his dear harriet entertain suspicions of him fatal to her peace if not totally destructive of their mutual happiness the shock of such a misfortune though happily frustrated was more than he could bear with any tolerable degree of patience rage disdain and revenge for the vile contriver of so black an attempt were the first emotions that took possession of his mind but the violence of those passions evaporating by degrees he began to think more coolly and to reason with himself on the source from which that depravity of morals and manners women are sometimes guilty of proceeded chastity said he is but one branch of virtue but a material one and serves as a guard to all the others and if that is once overcome endangers the giving entrance to a thousand vices a woman entirely free from those inordinate desires which are indeed but the disgrace of love can scarce be capable of envy malice or revenge to any excess that sex cried he again are endued by nature with many perfections which ours cannot boast of it is their own faults when they sink beneath us in value but the best things when once corrupted become the worst how dear therefore ought a woman to prize her innocence as shakespeare says they all are white a sheet of spotless paper when they first are born but they are to be scrawled upon and blotted by every goose quill he was in the midst of these contemplations when a letter from miss flora was brought to him she still flattered herself with being able to work on his good nature of submissions and a seeming contrition for what she had done and had accordingly wrote in the most moving terms she was mistress of but he knowing by the handwriting on the superscription from whom it came would not even open it and his indignation rekindling afresh he took a piece of paper in which he wrote only this line i read no letters from incendiaries this served as a cover to the letter which he sent back directly by the messenger that brought it if the mind of mr trueworth had been less taken up than it was at present this ugly incident would doubtless have dwelt much longer upon it but affairs of a more important and more pleasing nature demanded his whole attention the day prefixed for the celebration of his marriage with miss harriet and also of that of sir basil and miss mabel had been delayed on account of mrs blanchfield's death none of these generous persons could think of indulging the joys they so much languished for till all due rights were paid to the memory of that amiable lady mr trueworth and miss harriet went into deep mourning sir basil and mrs wellair also put on black 
Miss Mabel did the same in compliment to them, for she had not the least acquaintance with the deceased. Nor was this all. Mr. Trueworth, to testify his gratitude and respect, ordered a very curious monument of white marble to be erected over her remains, the model of which he drew himself, after one he had seen in Italy, and was much admired by all judges of architecture and sculpture. If, by a secret and unfathomable intuition, the souls of the departed are permitted any knowledge of what is done below, that of Mrs. Blanchfield's must feel an extreme satisfaction in such proofs of the esteem of him she had so tenderly and so fatally loved, as well as those of her fair friend and rival. That generous young lady would fain have prolonged their mourning for a whole month, and consequently have put off her marriage till that time. But this, if Mr. Trueworth would have been prevailed upon to have submitted to, Sir Basil and Mrs. Wellair would not agree to. He thought he had already sacrificed enough of the time of his promised happiness, and Mrs. Wellair was impatient to go home, though equally loath to leave her sister till she had disposed of herself. They were arguing on this topic one evening. Mr. Trueworth opposed Miss Harriet as much as he durst do without danger of offending her, but Sir Basil plainly told her that if she continued obstinate, Miss Mabel and he would finish their affair without her. Mrs. Weller urged the necessity there was for her return, and Mr. Trueworth, encouraged by what these two had said, added that he was certain Mrs. Blanchfield did not mean, by what she had done, to obstruct his happiness a moment. To which Miss Harriet, with a most obliging smile, replied, Well, cried she, obedience will very shortly be my duty, and I will give you a sample of it beforehand. Here is my hand. Make it your own as soon as you please. It is not to be doubted, but Mr. Trueworth kissed the hand she gave him, with the utmost warmth and tenderness. But before he could make any reply to so kind a declaration, Sir Basil cried out, Well said, Harriet. Love has already wrought wonders in your heart. You will grant to a lover what you refuse to us. Not to a lover, sir, answered she, but to a person who is about to be my husband. I think it is as ill-judged a reserve in a woman to disown her affection for the man she has consented to marry, as it would be imprudent to confess it before she had consented. After some farther conversation on this head, in the course of which Mr. Trueworth had the opportunity of being more confirmed than ever, that the disposition of his mistress was, in every respect, such as he wished to find it. All that was yet wanting for the completion of the nuptials was settled. The second day after this was fixed for the celebration of the ceremony, after which it was determined that the two bridegrooms with their brides, the father of Miss Mabel, Mrs. Weller, and two other friends, should all set out together for Sir Basil's seat in Staffordshire, and that Mrs. Weller should write to her husband to meet them there, that the whole family might be together on so joyful an occasion. End of chapter 21